Welcome to Amazon Made Simple podcast with your host, Sibel Ritz. We bring you insights and advice from industry experts on how to thrive as Amazon seller. In this episode, I am speaking with Nachman Laser, founder and CEO of accounting software company that is helping Amazon sellers streamline their finances, connect books. With a powerful story of going from jobless to successful entrepreneur, Nachman shares valuable tips on how to handle accounting as Amazon seller. Whether you're just starting out or looking to optimize your financial processes, this episode is must listen for anyone wanting to succeed on Amazon. Isabella Ritz and Amazon Made Simple podcast. And today we're going to talk about something technical about numbers. And as you know, when you're launching business on Amazon or e-commerce or you're doing and uh, you're doing great and you want to improve your sales, you have to do your numbers. You have to understand your cost of goods. You have to understand the cost of PPC. You have to understand what actually, uh, how you how your numbers look like. Because sometimes we see the big revenue, but we don't understand what it is about. The revenue is one thing. Your cost of goods is another one. So how much money you actually keeping in a pocket. But to understand this stuff, it's very hard to learn. So we're trying to tell you stories that will keep you interested and you'll be able to be engaged while you're here with us today. And I'm welcoming my new guest is Nachman Lizer with Connect Books. Nachman, welcome to the podcast. Hi, good morning. Uh, Welcome. So thank you so much for having me on the podcast. I'm excited to be here. Well, I'm excited to interview you today. So I believe one, like nothing was happening, like you've been born and then you grew up and said, okay, since today I'm going to do bookkeeping and now I decided to be an accountant, right? And more than you decided to create the software that will keep things together and will be helping people. So how did it happen and like where the story actually started? Yeah, I have quite an interesting story and quite a background. So in when I started originally, I, when I started to look out for work, um, I had a very hard time finding a job. Um, it was in 2011. They weren't at that point, you know, it, it, it was nothing close to what it was today. I actually read an interesting article. They're saying that, you know, the you have the millennials, those are the people who entered the workforce after 2008. Then you have, they call now the new generation, the Gen Z. And they're saying the new generation is very different because the millennials, people like me who entered the workforce around that time, we were right after the 2008 recession um, where the economy was down and we were expected to work hard and the wages weren't as high as that point. Versus these days, um, anybody who enters the workforce, um, they expect everything from you. And, you know, the wages are competitive. I mean, stuff I've maybe changed a little bit in the last half a year since the economy moved. But in general, the, you know, it, it's it's a very different somebody entering the workforce in the last year than somebody who entered the workforce 10 years ago. So they're kind of sending like the people who are employers, like the millennials that have businesses have to kind of like adapt to today's um, generation, which is a little bit different. So back in the days when I entered the workforce in 2011, there weren't any jobs. And I also did not live. I lived more in a suburb. I still live in the same area, more like a suburb style, not in a city. So it was hard to find a job. And I, you know, sent out my resume probably to over 50 or 60 places, got zero responses, maybe like a few interviews and 
you know, didn't nothing that made sense or whatever. And I, and I was literally ready to do anything. So the only other option, which I had at that point, because I needed money was to start um, driving cat taxi services. Now, I had a friend who owned this taxi company in the local area. It pretty much was more like a, wasn't like a, it was more like a car service, like, you know, where people pre-ordered and stuff like that. And he kept on telling me like, why don't you come work for me? And I was like, I'm looking for a normal job. But after like five weeks of, you know, feeling, feeling totally exhausted and I couldn't sit home anymore, I told him I'm going to do it. So I started off that job. And as I was driving, I was thinking to myself, what can I do with my life? And what do I want to do? And I also was looking to, you know, I, I was kind of, I, I tried so many different positions and I wasn't the ability at the moment, I like to just jump into anything. So I came up with the idea to become an accountant. And part of the reasons were that I found a master's degree program that was not during business hours. It was on Sunday and afternoons, which that helped me, you know, keep the job because I didn't have the ability to just jump to college for two years. And that's why I was able to like work, you know, during the day and at the same time um, go to school. So I started first off, you know, finishing my bachelor's and I finished that at the same time. What ended up happening was I was finding a little difficult to studying because I needed more time. I couldn't just work 10 hours a day and then expect to have a clear mind to study and take all the tests. So I was thinking of doing, um, you know, doing maybe more like bus driving. So buses like school buses, other stuff, the local schools, they they pay pretty well, meaning compared to a car service drive, not compared to whatever, but they had an option where you can work like four or five hours a day and you can make something. And then at the other time, I figured I can study. So that, that was kind of what I was thinking to do. So I actually- But made, you, you have a place where to live, right? So you didn't have yeah. to pay the bills. No, I did. No, I, I, I was did. on my own. Yeah, I had to pay the bills at that point. Otherwise, I would have just gone to school. So I had to pay my bills and I had to take care of it. So I went to, I started to, um, so I, I looked for, so I, I did actually the CDL license. I actually got a CDL, I got bus license. Um, and when it, it, it's a little bit of a process to get CDL. Now, the day I actually passed my road test, my, um, my manager from the car service called me up and he said that we want somebody, we're looking for a dispatcher in the office. Do you want the office position? So... At the same time, uh, so what ended up happening was that I that I I told him I was like so fed up from driving car service and so fed up from just being on the road. And I said, you know what? I will just accept an office position. So I started, so I started to work in the office, which is way easier. It was like, you know, nine to five, just you know, dispatching. I mean, dispatching at this point, it's you know, with Uber around these days, it's basically pretty much useless a dispatcher because, you know, today you do it on your phone and Uber decides all the calls. But back in the days, this was in 2011 before Uber even existed. And what we need, what I needed to do is, you know, manually answer phone calls. And we had to answer like anywhere between six to 10 calls under a minute and let the customer know if we do have a car for them and if we do what the ETA is. So we had like a list, like it was like something like an Excel sheet program. I mean, it was built on access, but like I had to keep track and tell them, okay, like I think I can have a car in like 10 minutes, so in like two minutes. And my goal was like when somebody would drop off, they should get a pickup in the same area. So if somebody's not dropping off in that area, I tell them, look, I don't I, I can send somebody, but it's gonna take a lot of time. 
So that was like, it, it would get very hectic at some point. So I, I did that job for like another half a year. And then at the same time, the manager who managed the taxi company left the business. So I actually got promoted to become the manager. So I actually got at that point promoted to be this manager of this taxi company. And it was a very challenging position, especially at a very young age. Um, they, they just like were looking around for somebody that had a long time finding someone and they're like, you know, you're a qualified candidate. So they just kind of gave it to me. And I started to work on that. And that was a whole different, you know. So it was like the huge jump from dispatcher to the manager where you yeah. like, it's a, such a big gap with the skills as well. So how you've been able to figure it out to do something I mean, that you never it was did. The first, it was probably the first time that I started keeping Tylenol on my desk and started popping Tylenol throughout the day. <laughs> That's how it was in the beginning. Um, you know, it could still happen today. It's not like I never have to pop Tylenol these days, but it's not on a day-to-day basis. At that point, I'll probably take every day. I would get from the amount of stress I would have, it just all of a sudden dumped on me. Now, the old manager was still there to train me and is, is there to help me. Now, it it was very difficult and I was on the job for a year. I grew the business tremendously and I, you know, grew the profit margins of the business tremendously. And then, but what happened was I really had started my whole idea of going for an accounting degree and I still wanted to pursue it. So I finished up my bachelor's and then I started the master's. The master's was very difficult and it came to a point where the, being a manager of a car service company, I was literally literally working like 24 hours because the company opens up eight o'clock in the morning. The company didn't close till 10 o'clock at night. And then like sometimes driver, the company also owned their, their cars. So like if a driver would get stuck 12 o'clock at night, like a driver would call me up like 11 o'clock at night, even the company closed at 10. A lot of times, you know, the dispatcher would give them like another few calls and he's like, Oh, I just finished, um, you know, my, my day. And I pulled into somebody driver to drop them off. My car broke down. So I'm like, can you ask them if you could leave you there overnight? They're like, no, because I'm blocking four, four other parking spots and these people have nowhere to park because they can't park on the street because they're living in a main road. And they're like, I need to get my car out of here. So I had to get dressed, get a tow truck and, you know, 11.30 at night, who's coming to tow? So I waited like two hours. And it, it was kind of like around it, you know, always had to be around the clock. The company also is open on Sundays, you know, because Sundays people need taxis. So there was never, I never really had like personal time where I can say, okay, now I'm focusing, you know, to study throughout the week. So it came to a point where when I, you know, I had to kind of make a decision what I want to do. Either I continue my accounting degree or I, you know, stick with this car service position. So I called my uncle and I asked him um, what he thinks I should do. So he told me, Nachman, when you're going to be 30 years old, what do you want to be? Do you want to be the carcass manager? Do you want to be the accountant? I said, I'd rather be the accountant. He's like, can you afford the education? And, you know, while you finish it, I said, yeah, because the plan was that I, I still have my bus license. So I figured I can always swap back to, to the bus position. And in the same time, I can just, you know, finish my accounting degree. And then I'll do it for a year or two till I finish. And well, then I'll go find something. So that was my idea I was going to do then. So I right away, so I called up my, so I called up my boss the next day and I told him I want to quit. So he was like all upset. He's like, why, what? So I explained to him, look, I'm looking in accounting and it's not really what I want to do. So he's like, okay, give me some time. And we worked at a time, you know, till he'll find somebody else and I'll move over. In the meantime, um, my boss also owned a different business, which was a wholesale kitchen company. 
And he calls me up two days later. He's like, look, you already gave me notice in that company you're leaving. I'm actually looking for a qualified bookkeeper in this business. And you did such a good job there. How about you become the bookkeeper here? So I thought to myself, wow, it's an amazing opportunity here. And also it was like what I was looking to do. So I jumped, I ended up joining his other business. And at the same time, I ended up going to school. And it took like another three years till I finished my master's degree and I actually graduated. And at the time when I was working as a bookkeeper, um, I actually worked my way up and became the CFO of the company. So by the time I left that other company, I had already like, I would say like four other people in accounting department under me, like, you know, taking care of the day-to-day task. And my job at that point was just to oversee and also do the financial reporting and, you know, manage the cash flow and stuff like that. So I, I finished, I worked there for like three and a half, four years, and I gained a ton of experience. Part of my biggest experience, which I actually applied till today, is understanding cost of goods sold. So we had a, they had a warehouse of 200,000 square feet, and they had 25,000 different SKUs. So in the kitchen business, every single cabinet is a different SKU. And also cabinets are probably the most complex inventory you can have because you can have a, a base cabinet, a yeah, base is a, a regular cabinet, that can be a 24 inch, which means it takes two 12 inch doors. And then you can have a base cabinet that's a 12 inch, which takes one 12 inch door. So if you want to know about all these complicated assemblies that Amazon sellers do, you know, that's where I kind of picked up my knowledge. And part of my deal was when I made the PL for the company, I had to understand what the accurate cost of goods sold is. And it was very complicated. We use we use very complicated ERP systems to bring all that. Plus, we also use QuickBooks. But, you know, in order calculating cost of goods sold and understanding how assemblies works and group items and figuring all this out was a challenge and a nightmare and so on. But, you know, that's where I gained a ton of experience in, in this particular field. And so you've been able to learn not just cost of goods, but how the kitchen business works yeah, and how the huge business works. And it was like the experience not just based on the bookkeeping, you've just been consuming uh, entrepreneurship as well. Right. I mean, I don't really do anything in the, I actually even at one point might've like done a few side projects, kitchens, but I didn't want to go into the kitchen industry, but, um, I, but it was just like understanding from dealing with a big business and understanding in depth, like these numbers is complicated. And I mean, I see businesses struggling with this all day and every, every other Amazon seller I talked to struggles with this point. It's not like, um, and then also another thing was also, tracking inventory so like for example if we sold from a certain style x amount of units make sure that the guy who purchases understands how much he sold and he doesn't just purchase you know whatever he likes or whatever he thinks is good so it it wasn't so easy most software is um like in the amazon industry the beautiful part of the amazon industry is that there's so many amazon sellers and if you find out a unique solution you can sell it to so many people so like, let's say, for example, somebody wants to have a good forecasting tool, they can use like Restack Pro, right? But in the kitchen industry, you don't have that. And there's not that many kitchen companies. I even tried at one point to make something, but in the beginning, I came up with some idea because when I, so what happened was when I left my, after I finished school, I decided I'm going to try to work for CPA. So again, I was out of luck. I went for a couple of interviews. This was back in 2017 and where accountants were not looking to hire. Today, every single accountant is desperate to hire, but they're not. And I even got a job and got fired a minute later. The guy called me up two hours later. No, he doesn't want me. Um, the main reason why people didn't want to hire me, 
So I didn't want to go to corporate America. wasn't interested in going that type. I wanted something more local, easy, and you know, eventually just go on my own a few years later. So most people saw me as a threat because I came with so much CFO experience. They're like, okay, you're going to be here for two years and just go on your own. So they didn't want to hire me. So that's the main reason why I didn't get any, any positions. And at some, I decided I got to do something. So that's when I came up with the idea, I'm going to open up a bookkeeping company. So when I opened up a bookkeeping company, I focused on small to medium-sized businesses. And the idea of our bookkeeping wasn't that we just do data entry. It was because what happens is if you do your books so- the right way, Let's stop here for a second. So you decided to open the company. To open the company, generally speaking, you have to have or networking or you have to have uh, the investments or both and experience on top. Sometimes experience comes later. So how was it in your case? Like you decided to create a business and where did you start? So I want, I, I mean, my goal originally from going to school and all that was to be a CPA and like have my own CPA from one day. Um, so that's what I was always working towards. Now, I put away money throughout the time working as a CFO to have you know, enough money to go on my own. And then at the same time, the problem was that the CFO, the position as CFO was pretty, pretty a difficult um, position, meaning it's not, I, I, I wasn't able to do two things at once. And I felt like as long as I'm in that company, I'm not going to be able to like, as long as I'm in that company, I'm not going to be able to run my own business. I was like too, it was just too overwhelming. Very, I was very committed to my job and I'm always the type that likes to go the extra mile. So I didn't find myself being able to like, just leave the job, meaning like to do like a hybrid situation. So I told, I told my boss I'm quitting and I told him I'm giving him three months notice and I said in three months, I plan to go on my own. And I said, you have enough time to find anybody and I'll train them. And I actually ended up finding the guy for him and I actually trained in the guy. And then I, and then the problem was I didn't want to accept any customers or take on customers because I, I was just, it was just too much for me while I had my job. And then once I started, I say like the probably one of the best days in my life. So what happened was when I gave, when I finished, um, when my last day in, in, in my job was, was on a Thursday. And then I officially planned to start my business the following Monday. So I had one Friday that was like officially my day off that day. You know, every time before somebody opens a business, you have to kind of, first thing you got to do is dream because you have no dreams and there's no business. So you have to kind of be a dreamer. So I was, dreaming you can't even imagine of, of what i was dreaming like how my business was going to disrupt in six months and how everything was gonna i was gonna be like a millionaire in one year and you know about everything so like that friday i had no more pressure for my old job because i've already gone so the new guy took it over thursday was my last day so friday i had no more pressure for my old job i remember walking into costco like no pressure and then just so happy because i had these huge dreams and then monday morning everything just fell apart because I walked into my, I had set up my office already. Monday morning, I walked in. Okay, now I need work. Who am I finding customers? What am I doing next? So <laughs> I had that one day. It was very, it was like, it, I always think back to it. How, I look at it, how funny it was. Um, but I don't know if I'll ever get back such a day ever in my life. But So what did you do at this moment? Because here we are. You're yeah, free. I'm, you're free you now. You have business that you can do, but you don't have clients. As big as as big as you are, you're always gonna have stress. As big as you know, 
as many workers as you have. There's no there's no such thing. And I actually saw other entrepreneurs talking about. There's no such thing as running a business stress free. A business comes with stress, and these pros and cons. These pros of being a business owner. These cons about it, but this is part of the deal that you got to do. So I don't foresee myself in the future ever like um being like you know like saying i'll be stress-free meaning i work i i work on myself to keep calm and i handle stress pretty well it's not like in the beginning i had a very hard time dealing with it and if to kind of like you know you know relax a little bit and if a customer once decides to leave it's not the end of the world these other customers out there as well who you can get you're not shutting down tomorrow these you know, all these phobias, it, it takes a little time to you like settle with it. And also once your business is established, you're more confident and it takes a little time. I'm, I'm ready on my own for six years. So it's very different. But, so where did you get your first client? So I took out my cell phone, went through my contact list and I called everybody who I knew and every person I spoke to. And I would say within six months, we, I, I, within three months, I managed to hire my first employee and within six months, we were already profitable. Amazing. Yeah. So, but that was just hustling and bustling through my contacts. And, you know, that's where, so I was telling you before that I tried to make, and when I started this bookkeeping company, so the idea of the bookkeeping was that we do bookkeeping, but plus more like CFO services. So these other companies that they'll do your books. And then at the end of the month, if you have questions, they're not there to answer. They don't want to say anything. Like, like, like they don't know. So my thing was, since I was coming from the CFO background and I was focused so much on the books, understanding proper cost of goods sold, understanding inventory, understanding cash flow, and I was busy with all this stuff, I kind of had all these tools. And my pitch was that, look, I'll do your bookkeeping. And then at the end of the month, we'll have a call to go it over. But I will clearly explain to you everything that's going on in the business. And also the books will be very simple and clear for you to understand. So that and was our- how did you decide that it will be uh, bookkeeping for Amazon sellers or for e-commerce? So I didn't so decide where that it started. Yeah. So yeah. originally I did not decide it. Um, I actually was coming from the kitchen industry and my first, one of my first two clients were actually kitchen businesses um, because I just approached a lot of kitchen companies in my area. And I said, you know, I used to be the CFO in this wholesale company. You want me to do your bookkeeping. So they right away jumped in it. And also I have to show them how the books were so messed up. Um, because it was a complicated way to track inventory, not to track inventory. So I started off at that point and I actually did try to create some sort of program for kitchen companies within QuickBooks, but you know, there wasn't really much of a market. There's maybe let's say 10 stores in my area. So maybe one or, one or two of them said they may be interested and um, the other five weren't versus where Amazon, you know, the system is so much bigger and also Amazon, everybody like in Amazon, it was always the norm to do Zoom calls and softwares. And, you know, today Zoom is normal, but like six years ago, it wasn't, you know, people still wanted the in-person meeting, but in the Amazon ecosystem, you know, everything was online. So it was a normal thing, a normal way to operate. So I started this bookkeeping company and I, you know, was looking for business. And I, one of the ways which actually helped my business a lot was I ran, I ran a few ads that didn't yield any results. Um, I did a write-up. So I had a write-up article where I explained how I can help wholesale companies and manufacturing businesses understanding proper cost of goods sold and all that. So a guy called me up and he said that one Amazon business and I want, I need proper books. What turned out to be is they were two partners and they wanted to split up. So partner A wanted to buy out partner B. Now the problem was that partner B was not a 50% partner. 
partner B, they were a private label company with like 10 products, but partner B was only a partner in three out of the 10 products. So we need to understand how much money each product made and then kind of tell them, okay, these three products made this amount of money in the last three years. And then they made a deal between themselves. So that was my actually first challenge to Amazon. I spent like, and they, when they came to me, they literally had nothing, no books, nothing. I just literally got a set of bank statements and I was supposed to go through every transaction, anything I didn't have, I need to ask them and get back and forth. So I went through, I started to work in it. It took me, I would say like five months to put the whole picture together and I had to charge them a lot of money. And then I kind of came into my, and they, and they also kept on telling me, you know, there's no good ideas of bookkeeping out there. And if you could do something. So that's when the idea popped into me, you know, let me build a software. Now, next door to my office was a software developer, a guy who did custom software. So I told him, no, I have this idea. Would you want to build it for me? And he was like, yeah, I can do this. So that's kind of where I got in. Originally, when I built ConnectBooks, I didn't build it to sell. I built it for my bookkeeping company so I can acquire more Amazon businesses for bookkeeping. In the back end, I would streamline my process and, you know, I would... With the software, we cut down like 70% of the work that I had to do at that point. Today, when we need to do, let's say, two years of books, we spend it around in no time. Like six to eight weeks, we have it done, and the price is a quarter of what we used to charge. So we can probably do it faster. Today, we buffer. You know, I can probably do it in two to three weeks, but we buffer six weeks. So I'm saying is like we could spin stuff around much faster, way cheaper, and more, more clarity, more accurate beautiful reports, you know, just because we have the software. So and how long time took you to build the software and how hard was the onboarding of the clients? So because- what, yeah, so what happened was with the software, I originally built it for myself. And then I was talking to Amazon sellers. They're like, look, we have bookkeepers or we're using a bookkeeping company or we have like a CFO. And, you know, we would like to use the software for ourselves. So what ended up happening was um, they, we made like a little U-turn and we kind of split the company in two. So we still do the bookkeeping and then we had the software. Now, software, I would probably say, is one of the hardest businesses out there. Um, it's it's uh, it, it's like, it's in a certain sense, somewhat an Amazon business. You got to constantly keep on investing. You got to constantly keep on building on new features. You got to maintain the customers, keep them happy. Um, you know, it, it's not, it, it sounds way easier than it is. Um, I would say probably the biggest challenge that lies a lot in software is a lot of people have no clue what they're doing. And so was I when I started. Um, I mean, if I build now another software, you know, I would have a head start from anybody with four years because all the stuff that we did originally, um, stuff that customers don't even know, it's even like certain way how we built stuff, which made problems later on, which in the beginning we were like very short-sighted because I didn't, we, I just didn't know. It wasn't like, it's not that I didn't have a vision of having a few thousand customers with the software. It just didn't know that if we do this in three years and then we'll pay a price. Um, and that kind of works almost with a lot of software. I know a handful of softwares will have the issue and, and, and it happens to a lot of people. Um, usually, you know, when you see companies that move very fast, usually the founder has already done like three or four softwares. So he knows already right away from the get-go, you know, um, you know how to start it up how to pull it through and, and, and how to do it the right way. So we kind of jumped into the software and then what ended up happening was with our bookkeeping company, um, we started getting a lot of customers like called us in and either they tried to do it themselves and they saw they can't. So they asked us, we can help them. We said, look, we can also do the bookkeeping as well. 
So what happened was we started getting a lot of bookkeeping business through the software as well. So at that point, it became to me like a no-brainer to kind of just take the whole bookkeeping company and we pivoted just for e-commerce. So the benefit is that when I explained to somebody, I said, if you want to take bookkeeping from us or bookkeeping from somebody else, let's say we both charge the same price. In our company, you're going to get somebody who is completely focused just on e-commerce and they are a pro and an expert when it comes to e-commerce bookkeeping. Whereas if you go to somebody else, uh, most book and they hire a bookkeeper. If that bookkeeper is working on four to five different type of businesses, they're not going to be as experienced and you know as an expert in in, in e-commerce. And most likely, you know, you're not going to get what we're giving. It's just not the same. You know, if somebody's working on a kitchen business and somebody's also working in a wholesale company and they're working on an urgent care and they're working on, on, on a distributor, you know, and and plus a plumber. And then you're also trying to do an Amazon business you can't put the proper attention to it versus we just do one thing. Now we work in a lot of companies, but we do the same thing for everybody. So if we make, if we learn something new, we learn it for everybody. Also, we have the software, which, you know, streamlines the process. It dumbs down. It takes away all the hard work from the bookkeeping. And also if like we see, we need a feature, we actually build it. So the benefit of us doing the bookkeeping, we're also hands-on. Like I'm rolling out a new feature now. Um, we're changing out certain stuff and I'm actually testing it myself with customers and working with it hands-on. So I get to feel how the customer feels. The worst thing for companies to do is when the founders or the managers like disconnect from the customers and they just don't feel the pain. And, and that can happen very easily when the company grows and there's a lot of business and there's a lot of stuff going on. Sometimes the top, the top of, you know, the sea levels just forget about it. And like, well, what's the big deal to do this? Or what's the big deal to kind of go this route? I, and I was like, well, if you would actually do the bookkeeping and you would see that pain takes the bookkeeper an extra hour, you would understand the pain they're going through and you wouldn't do it that way. So that's, you know, that's, that's I, I like the balance between the two. So it kind of keeps up in the loop. So, and what we're talking, it's, it's amazing story and it's amazing um, uh, approach you've been using. However, here's the question. So I am not the bookkeeper of course, and I'm super far away from all these taxes. I don't like uh, to put the things together with like CPA and like every single time we're filing taxes or we're doing any bookkeepings. For me, it's a stress because like I hate it. So when I see people who loves it, I adore these people. But again, everyone loves something that they are passionate about. Uh, but I hate I, well, See? So, yeah, that's why some <laughs> people you give do. Me a, I'm working on this with a consultant. She wants to know my buyer personas and all the other. And make me this way, I like, don't talk to me. Find someone else yeah. in the company who to make crazy. Yeah. Just not me. I was like, yes. you want, I say, you want me to do some bookkeeping, Excel free work? I'll do it till four o'clock in the morning, but just not marketing. Yeah, when you show me Excel, Excel sheet, I am like, I'm going to the stress mode. So, uh, and here's the question. I remember when I uh, launched my Amazon 2015, uh, at tw in 2016, I think I started using TaxJar. Uh, then I realized that we have to use the QuickBooks and we started using the TaxJar and QuickBooks. And right now we just use accountants, we use CPA. So, when people like me want to like do bookkeeping without like any type of the headaches 
and they are using all the different softwares that they don't really understand why they they don't do they need them because like for tax jar and you I don't have to file any reports because I have Nexus there Nexus here so I connected all this and I'm like okay I'm not doing all this stuff then I realized that uh, I still have to do something like that was a, such a big uh, um, painful experience. However, so when we're talking about Connect Boots, uh, based on the name Connect, I assume it's not just like you're connecting all your bookkeepings. You also don't need to use any other type of the software where uh, you have to split in between QuickBooks and TaxJar and maybe something else. Am I correct or incorrect? Um, so I'll explain it. First of all, what we do is we integrate to QuickBooks. So you still need to have QuickBooks, but okay. one thing which I like to differentiate a lot myself from tax papers, um, in accounting, there's, you know, you have, um, you know, like even when you take the CPA exam, there's four different, you know, parts. There's, um, you know, you have the accounting part, you have the taxes, you have the compliance, you have the audit. So Accounting and taxes are two different things, meaning obviously that one, in order to pay your taxes, you have to have the accounting, but meaning when we do bookkeeping, the idea is not just, we don't do bookkeeping usually to prepare for taxes. If your goal is that I just need to file my taxes, usually your CPA can do it for you and they'll do it much cheaper than we charge. Our goal is to give you clarity in the business. Now, what I have, what actually I'm seeing these days with the economy going downhill um, we're actually getting a lot more customers because people really need their books. People who I've been talking to for the last four years didn't want to look at me are actually begging us now for our product. Um, and they're big sellers. They want certain features. Like, for example, our most requested feature that's coming in now is people want to compare this year's sales versus last year. They want to see, like, where are they declining, where they're losing. And we actually built out a beautiful comparison report which we will show you the sales and all the fees this year versus last year. We'll also show you the ad spend. The ad spend, meaning the ad spend we can only do for existing customers because Amazon locks the API after 60 days. How uh, it's different from the dashboards that already exist? Like, for example, you're going to like Killington or uh, any other software and you can see on a dashboard uh, how much money you make and you can also compare chart to chart. So it's very different. So in terms of... In terms of example, I had a customer, for example, uh, I did actually a case study with her. She she was using, I don't want to name the platform, but she was using a very reputable platform. And all of a sudden, she used to always have like a half a million dollars in the bank and all of a sudden the money started dwindling and she didn't know what to do. And she had spoken to me two times. She's a bit hesitant to set up ConnectBooks and QuickBooks. And I explained to her, if you want to have proper bookkeeping and you want to make sure everything is accurate, you got to do it this way. So it took her like two months to set up, you know, QuickBooks the right way and get everything done. And then what ended up happening is that a lot of softwares don't calculate all the other fees. Um, they don't calculate everything properly. And turned out that, you know, on an order level, she was profitable. But if you started accounting for all her returns, all the unsellable returns and all the other fees that Amazon puts in, she was not profitable at all. Um, I had a story two weeks ago with a guy he was not making money on Amazon and the big seller. And I told him, look, you're not making money. I said, he was, he was, he called me up and he was like trying to see where he can cut costs. I said, look, your overhead is a hundred grand. Your main overhead comes from your employees and rent. I said, can you fire any of employees? He's like, no, I, I need them all. So I said, okay, so let's put that aside. I said, look, if you want to maybe 
call a few service providers and try to squeeze out a thousand dollars of them, how much do you think you're going to end off? You'll shave 5,000 from your overhead. That's not helping you. I said, your problem is in Amazon. I said, you're not profitable on Amazon. And he couldn't believe it. So he tells me, I show him a product he lost money on. So, and the problem is the guy was had a lot of SKUs. So it wasn't so easy to just like, it wasn't like private label, it's 10 SKUs. So he takes this one product and he goes to the FBA calculator and he puts it. You see, I'm supposed to make $7 after Amazon fees. I said, yeah, the FBA calculator is very nice, but you didn't account for PPC. You didn't account for storage fees. You didn't account for returns. You didn't account for unsellable returns. Returns are going to garbage. You didn't account for inbound shipments. I said, there's so many stuff you didn't account for. Like, how do you just rely on it? And then he was using like a PPC software that does his PPC, you know, they do the ads, which I think is very not right from them. But I, I, I can understand what they're trying to do, but it's really not right what they're doing. Basically, what these PPC softwares do is they want you to, you know, run a lot of campaigns. And obviously, they have a way how they charge. And it was not a cheap software. And he, they have also a profitability report that they show you. And based on that, they adjust campaigns. But those profitability reports only include orders. Now, if you're, let's say, for example, in the electronic industry and other industry, you can have a very high return rate, especially through the season where people can return up to January 31st. People can do a lot of returns. So when you're looking at a dashboard, first thing is, is it orders only or is it everything else? Our dashboard can be filtered down to orders, but it's with everything else. Another strong part of our software is that we're a bookkeeping software. So when we send data to QuickBooks, one of the things we need to do is match the bank. So if you get a deposit from Amazon, let's say for $50,000, right? That doesn't mean that was 50,000 your sales. The sales, let's say, were 100,000. Yeah, it's 50,000 out of revenue minus PPC, and so you have money to pull, operate. Right. So when we pull data from Amazon, we pull two APIs. One API is how much money came into the bank. The next API is going to be all the details of what came in. And we reconcile every single Amazon fee up to the bank deposit. So every single Amazon fee that is out there will be included in our report because we always have it. And our numbers are always accurate because we constantly reconcile down to the fees. Now, another strong point why where we differ from Helium 10's dashboard, in Helium 10, you can only put in one cost. Um, we have the ability to put in a lot of different types of costs. When the cost goes up, cost goes down. you know. And then the other thing is you also... We also have landed cost. So what if you if you want to calculate how much inbound shipment needs to be, right? In Helium 10, you can't do that. It's a very static report. Like, tell me what your cost is, and you do all the calculations to your end. And then when you want to run a report for last year, it shows you lost money. You run a report for this year, it shows you make money. Like, all these informations in our end, um, that doesn't, you know, that doesn't, that's not going to, that's what we deal with. And also, we have... Our integration to QuickBooks is if you use our inventory tracking platform, it means to say that you track your inventory in QuickBooks. And the reason why I like to track inventory in QuickBooks is when the cost, if your cost changes and fluctuates a lot, all you got basically when you do your bookkeeping, you enter bills in QuickBooks, right? So you get a bill from your vendor, you enter in QuickBooks. Now, if you, if you, sorry, um, if you, if you itemize, if you itemize a QuickBooks and you put every single, you put in every bill into QuickBooks, the only thing you have to do is just enter the bill, the quantity and the amount you bought. Now, let's say you buy in January 100 units at a dollar and you sell 80 units. 
Now, in February, you buy another 100 units and you're paying out $2. But now you still have 20 units of the previous stock. So what is your cost? So your cost is not, your cost, your cost isn't $1.50, meaning I can say, look, I bought 200 units and I paid $300 in total, maybe $2.50. No. In January, your cost is a dollar because we know that the 80, that from the 100 units you bought, you know, those 80 units that sold in January costed a dollar. So meaning to say, we know that that was the cost in January. So in February, the question is what's going to be the cost. So these two methods you can use, you can either use first in, first out, which would, you know, the first 20 units would account for a dollar and then it would move to $2. Or you can account for, you can say your average cost is $1.83, you know, which $1.83 would be an average from 100 units that's bought in February with the 20 units remaining in January and combine that. So all these kind of calculations, and then this is just a simple calculation. Imagine adding a landed cost on top of that. Imagine that the shipping was one amount in January and February, a different amount. And let's make it a little more complicated. Let's say you have an assembly item or a group item. So you have three different products that you're combining into one listing. All three have different averages costs and all three have all that. So if you're kind of dealing with a lot of complexity and, you know, or just want to have like a good grip on the accounting and that part, we differ a lot, you know, from the standard dashboards and the standard reporting. If you have, let's say, three products on Amazon and the cost is the same and it hasn't changed over a year, um, you know, then you're right. Maybe just use the just use that. And I believe, like, when uh, you brought up a very fair point, when like you have cost of goods in October and then February and then January, and all of them are different. The same time, especially when uh, sellers are struggling with the with the Q4, uh, they are shipping inventory with the different uh, ways. Like some of them are coming express, some of them are coming uh, via sea, some of them are coming uh, via air and like express air. And then you have the same unit delivered on Amazon or like to any other platform, but the different ways. Uh, and then the cost of goods is already different. And here's the question. So if I am uh, working, if I have multi-channels, so I am selling on a different platforms, is it like, do you do uh, bookkeeping based on the platform or we can integrate all the platforms together and the bookkeeping will be in one place? So we now currently integrate with, meaning the, I'd say the four biggest platforms are out there. On Amazon, we work with all Amazon marketplaces all countries. We do eBay, we do Walmart, and we also do Shopify. Um, we are also working on, you know, having a feature where people can import like orders from other marketplaces because we're rolling out more marketplaces, but then it might be like somebody has a marketplace that lets only one person sells on, but they want to like import. So we have solutions like that we can, that we're working on that should work for all other platforms. But I say, Overall, you know, these are the four main platforms that most people sell on today. And, you know, this is where, where we connect. So uh, another question here. So, for example, if it's, it's probably will be a super simple question for you, maybe it will be actually complicated. So let's say I own uh, four different brands on Amazon. Every single brand will be under different LLC. Uh, in this case, should, but all of them are, I am selling under the same account. At this point, point, should I connect uh, one at the time or should I connect all of them at the same time to your platform and how at this point the bookkeeping works? Is it based on one LLC or is it based on one account 
slash one person and you can add there as many brand LLCs as, as you want. So the answer for this is a very good answer. And that go that comes based off my experience. So I can do it either way. Meaning we can set up one set of QuickBooks, which can have four LLCs in it, or we can set up four different sets of QuickBooks, which is for all different LLCs. So the way I usually do it is when a customer calls me this question, I tell them, let's have a phone call with your accountant. Um, and I want to go back a second to the other question, which I didn't answer properly was, what is it between an accountant and a bookkeeper? So what we're saying is if the whole idea you do bookkeeping is just to file your taxes, you can probably take a bank statement and go to the accountant at the end of the year, and he can just figure something out in Excel and, you know, maybe or he'll do a QuickBooks file, but something pretty fast and then file. Um, in terms of, in terms of the, what's called again, in, in terms of bookkeeping, what we do is we actually do month to month, meaning we're not just at the end of the year, we do month to month bookkeeping. And the idea is that people want to know what they're making on a monthly basis. Like how well is the business doing? How has the business changed this month versus the last month? Meaning if you're looking to get clarity in your business and you're looking to understand the ups and downs and looking to gain like very deep understanding, that's kind of where we shine. And that's really the difference. Now, if we do the bookkeeping throughout the year, at the end of the year, we'll give the set of books to the accountant and they can file it, no problem. It's not like that can't be used. It's just that it's very different. And it's different type of bookkeeping. You have accrual-based accounting, which we do. And then you have cash basis. Cash basis means we just look what comes into the bank and what goes out of the bank, which the, the, the best way to describe it is in cash basis, um, let's say November. So it's before the season. So you spend a half a million dollars on, on, to buy merchandise. If you're doing cash basis, you'll record that $500,000 as an expense because you wrote a check for $500,000. And if you're doing accrual basis, we wouldn't put that five hundred as an expense. We would put it into inventory and we would only expense what it was sold. So in accrual-based accounting, you'll be able to see, you know, what your business is actually making because you're not, cost of goods sold is not based on what you buy. It's based on what you actually sold. So the cost of the products that you sold this month was only 200000 We will show you an expense of 200000 versus cash basis will show you 500 Now, cash-based accounting is very easy to do and it's way less, it's not complicated at all. But, you know, for tax purposes, you can probably work something out with your CPA you know, just to file at the end of the year. And in terms of, you know, going back to the other question, in terms of having, you know, how to do the LLC structure, um, it, it varies case by case. And we work with the accountants at the end of the year. So usually what I do is I say, let me have a call with your accountant. Let me discuss it with them to see how they file the taxes. Because sometimes I have accountants that want it separate. And sometimes I have accountants that have the LLC structure that one LLC owns all other LLCs. And they can make one big return for all. So it really depends on the accountant. And my advice is that I have already done bookkeeping where we did it in one QuickBooks file and the accountant wanted it at the end of the year in two. And there was quite of a pain splitting it up. We had to redo a lot of work. So that's why usually I tell you, speak right away your accountant how to set it up. Now, even if he doesn't do the bookkeeping, even if you have the best bookkeeper, just make sure that you're on the same page with the accountant and that part you know, gets done. So genuinely speaking, you have to work as a partner in between accountant of the company and bookkeeping that you guys are doing. So it's supposed to, yeah. to be hand to hand. Uh, so let's say uh, 
our listeners decided to like, yes, it's super complicated. I don't want to deal with it. I'm just going to connect books. I want them to start working with me and I don't have any headaches anymore. So at this point, what kind of information except API integration do you need to start? Um, I mean, the first thing is usually like we on a call is, I mean, they have to create a ConnectBooks account and then, you know, we have the API and then usually what we do is we do an onboarding call where we would connect it to QuickBooks and on the onboarding call, we'd walk them through the process, give them the different options of how to do bookkeeping and how to make sure stuff are done properly and in the right way. So they know how to get it done. You know, what works in them both works in the best. Now, we do have another service that we're actually launching now is we do a full bookkeeping service on our own. So if people call in and they want bookkeeping, you know, we can give them a full bookkeeping service. Now, what we're doing also is not always are we able to handle new bookkeeping clients just because of service-based business and we need to hire more people and we also need to train them. It's not like we just dump people on. So in that case, what we're launching now is we have, we're working now in a huge partnership program with different accountants and bookkeepers who, you know, want to learn how to use ConnectBooks. And if you're looking, you know, if you come to us and you want to use a platform, what we can do is we can match you up with a vetted bookkeeper who knows what they're doing. Now, I've seen a lot of bookkeeping companies out there who have no clue what's going on, but what we do is we, when we partner with a bookkeeping company, we vet them. So whatever your price range is, like whatever you want to spend, we can find somebody in that budget for you. And, you know, we can hook you up with the right bookkeeping company where, you know, that's how you can work, work with them and, you know, get it, get everything the right way how you want it. This is amazing. Nachman, thank you so much for sharing all this info. And uh, again, as I mentioned in the very, very beginning, guys, I don't like to do any type of bookkeeping and accountant. And as Nachman said, he hates marketing. So everyone's supposed to do something they're experts at. And don't try to keep up with the bookkeeping or accounting or marketing if you are not the specialist and if you especially if you've never learned or experienced in this. And um, I know a lot of clients, uh, our clients, and uh, I know a lot of people in the industry that are using Connect Books because they are doing things right. And at this point, uh, personal recommendations, if you want to make sure your numbers are correct and you're not losing something on cost of goods or you are not missing any numbers, uh, connect under this video or under this uh, podcast uh, with Connect Books. And I believe um, your numbers will be on place and you will understand where is your margin, where you will be able to grow, or maybe you have to cut some type of products that are making you feel some suffer. So Nachman, do you want to add something else for our yes, listeners? I do want to leave a special offer for your listeners. We're going to offer them 10% off for six months and the coupon code will be RITS10. So just when you sign up to ConnectBooks, um, we do give a 30 day free trial. So, but we ask for a credit card up front. And when you come to the credit card form, you'll see in the bottom where there's an option add coupon, just type in RITS10 and that will give you 10% off for six months. Amazing. Thank you so much. Well, read stand right here and go and connect it. Nobody is uh, forcing you to stay. However, it's uh, never hurt to try. Uh, again, thank you so much for being here today and uh, I'll see you around very soon. All right. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Bye.